are glad to be home. Words cannot convey nine months. Uh, where do you begin? Uh, I, I couldn't begin to tell you all the things that we experienced and learned. Let me just say, uh, it was a blessing going, but it's more of a blessing being home. So, um, 30,000 miles we traveled. I drove. And um, um, got to see all of our family. And uh, we got preached at probably a little bit more than I got to preach. So that was a real blessing. I was in some great churches that really encouraged me. And uh, my wife and kids, Sarah, finished her first year college. And we brought home our grandson, one of them. So we are blessed. How do you summarize it? But let me get right into the message. Let me encourage you to come back tonight. Um because I'm going to talk to you about your time alone, time alone with God. If there's one thing that 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 I really uh, worked on myself was my time alone with God, and it'll be it'll be something that will always challenge you. Your prayer life is probably the worst thing to admit and own up to. It's not like you want it to be. So anything that could encourage and enable you to have that right time with God, just like you need right time with your family, you need right time with your wife or your husband, you need to have that right uh, time and right way of having that time. Well, out of all the things that this earth can demand of your time, God seeks us. He seeks our presence and our heart. So, tonight, making time alone for God. Now, if you will, we're going to talk about the glory of the cross. Before we see that, I want you to see a contrast. Because here in Philippians chapter 3, verse 17, I want you to see a key phrase. Brethren, Philippians chapter 3 and verse 17. Brethren, be ye followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an ensample. Watch who you're following. Mark those, whether they are in step with Christianity or whether they're in step with the world. For many walk. He doesn't say that there's just a few, but he's talking about believers or supposed believers. He says there are many who walk, of whom I told you often, and now tell you even what? It upsets him. He, he says, I even tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, I know Stephen Fry is an enemy of the cross. I know that that most uh, uh, people in the entertainment world and in the sports world are the enemies of the cross of Christ. But there are religious people and people you may be following who are the enemies of the cross of Christ. And he goes on and he says, verse 19, whose end will be what? Well, be good. You know, there in Psalm 78, it says, one of the things that you ought to consider, the people that you're following and the crowd that you're following is consider their end. Don't look at the cars that they're driving and the money they're making and the girls they've got and the guys that they've got. Consider their end. It says verse 19, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly. That's all they live for. Whose, now this is the key, whose glory is found where? In their shame who mind earthly things. Now, what if there was something, something so thrilling, so real, so powerful, so awesome, that nothing else could compare? What if there was something like that? Most people 
glory in shameful acts and shameful things. I mean, we live in a day that what the Bible talks about is shame people put on the, on the front of the news. Instead of the election of the Taoiseach, they talk about his sexuality. They talk about such shameful things, it, 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 it just it grieves me how people glory and rejoice in almost constant adultery on TV and in the movies. They make the movie about the adultery. They glory in the rebellion and in the hatred of anything that is good and clean and godly. They glory in homosexual acts and in sex outside of marriage. When was the last time you saw a good movie that showed a husband and a wife? They glory in their good looks and in their wealth and in their successes. But you know, it's like a child coming in, their hands are covered. Say, look, Ma, I've been outside in the back garden. And look what I made. <laughs> if you don't know what that is, we'll have a discussion afterwards. You guys need to go back to the farm. No wonder each generation, listen folks, no wonder each generation is falling apart faster than the previous one. Because that's all they're glorying in. Whose glory is in their shame. Now we've got something real. We've got something awesome to glory in. And I want to tell you about that this morning. Let's go to Lord in prayer. Father, I need you. I'm anxious. Pray you bless these people. They deserve the best. And you gave it. It's not going to be found in this message. It's not going to be found in this messenger. It's not going to be found in the way or the means. It's going to be found in the cross. And I pray that we would become satisfied so much so that we rejoice and shout and glory and it is finished. Show us just how glorious the cross is this morning. May we hear you and ignore the preacher. May we look to the cross and ignore everything else. I pray that you would work on our hearts and you'd save a soul this morning. Especially the one that is proudest, hardest, most self-righteous, and deepest in sin. May they realize that cross was for them. Bless our meeting this morning and all that we do in Jesus' name. Amen. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's Paul's words. That's our memory verse this month. But sometimes uh, we don't, we, we kind of miss key words, like the word glory. Glory means something that's bright. If it's glorious, it's like a glorious summer morning. The glory of the sunrise. It's something that's bright. Something that's magnificent. Magnificent. The meaning of glory is it's like fame. Like a celebrity. It's perfection. If something is glorious, it means...
the shout is heard for a mile away. That's glory. Something that just thrills and causes you to dance and rejoice and shout and sing. Now, the Bible has a lot of things that are glorious that it talks about. Things that we don't normally think are glorious. When I say we, I talk about the human race. But Jesus Christ himself is glorious. Let's leave Philippians. Uh, uh, well, we'll stay in Philippians. We're going to go to a couple of places. Go to verse 21. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 21. Speaking of a future day I'm looking forward to. Amen. Philippians 3.21, who shall change our, what kind of body? Our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is even, he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Jesus Christ himself is glorious. Amen. You know what we're going to do when we meet Jesus Christ? We're going to collapse. We're going to be overwhelmed. You know what? After the first initial couple of hours or weeks or months of just Wow, we're going to shout because he's glorious. Jesus Christ is glorious. The gospel itself is glorious. Go to 2 Corinthians, back to the left, 2 Corinthians, chapter 4 and verse 4. Start in verse 3, 2 Corinthians 4, 3. But if our gospel be hid... It is hid to them that are lost. If you don't understand what I'm talking about, if nothing that is said in this church from the Bible makes any sense to you, it's because somebody's hiding it from you. Somebody's coming in there and whispering all kinds of lies and stupid things in your head and in your heart. The Bible says if the gospel is hid to you, it's because you're lost. Verse 4, in whom the God of this world, that's the devil, have blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the, what kind of gospel? The glorious gospel of Christ, the awesome, bright, perfect gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine under them. The gospel is glorious. A Bible-believing, obeying church is glorious. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. You know, we may not be much to look at. Some visitor comes in, say if we got visited by, by some very important person, came in and says, I want to check out this Bible Baptist church. What is it like? We may not be much to look at. We don't have much to show off, do we? We don't have anything to show off. But you know what? Bible calls a Bible-believing, Bible-obeying church glorious. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 27, speaking of, as an example of, of uh, a home and a marriage, but it says, look at verse 27, speaking of the church, that he, Jesus, might present it to himself. What kind of a church? All right, this kind of church is one, if you go back, and it talks about it is a submissive church, verse 21, submitting yourselves unto one another. Uh, verse 23 says, the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. He's an authority. He's the, he's the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be subject unto their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might, look what else the church is, sanctified and cleanse it with the washing of water by the what? What do you got in your hand? The Word. And you've got what will keep you clean. By the washing of the water, by the Word. All that... Listen, we're talking about a husband and wife here, but we're talking about the church. And down there in verse 33, Nevertheless, let every... I'm sorry, verse 32. This is a great mystery. There's no way Paul could explain it all. But he says, But I speak concerning Christ and the what? 
the church. He says, verse 27 again, that he might present it to himself. He's doing all this work in us so that one day we walk into his presence without wrinkle, without spot, clean, forgiven, glorious. Amen. Say, why go to church? To get ready for him. To get ready to meet him. To, to be an example of this world of what real glory is. We may never win, uh, 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 we may, uh, I hope you never have to win the lottery. I hope you never have to, to, to look to the lottery to get you, uh, um, your, your wealth that you already have in Christ. I hope you have, don't have to have the, uh, the new car or the, the, the new house or all that stuff. Folks, we want it all. Our life is, our, our, by our being in God's family and being a part of a church, it's glorious. Uh, the power of Jesus Christ in our lives, go to Colossians. Go to the right, find Colossians chapter 1 and verse 11. Colossians chapter 1. Just how powerful is Jesus? Well, he seems pretty weak to me. I mean, he's so meek and lowly. Listen. What Jesus Christ in submitting to the wrath of man and to the 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 attacks of the devil and to the wrath of God is not showing you his power. It's showing you his love and his mercy. So when Jesus Christ got crucified, that does not show weakness. It shows submission. Because three days later, he personally got out of that grave. And he ever liveth right now as King of kings and Lord of lords. His power is glorious. Go to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 11. And it's glorious in your life if you'll let him. Verse, thir- verse 11 says, strengthened with all might according to how much of his power? To his glory, that kind of power. His glorious power unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness. You want to be strengthened? Get the power from him. Because the power of Jesus Christ in our lives is glorious. One more thing. The soon return return of Jesus Christ in the rapture is going to be glorious. Titus, to the right, a few more pages. Titus chapter 1. I'm sorry, chapter 2, verse 13. Titus 2.13. Looking for that blessed hope. 2.13. And the glorious appearing of the great God in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, uh, honestly, folks, none of, none of that may be special to you, but it's special to me. Uh, that's what marks a Christian. I'm glad when a team wins. I'm glad when Munster wins. I'm glad when, when, uh, 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 when, when, you know, somebody succeeds, somebody makes some money, somebody gets a car. I, that's all wonderful, but folks, the thing that thrills me, those kind of things. But there was, there was a, 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 an example in the life of Paul. Go back to Philippians. Where if anybody could have gloried in accomplishments, it would have been Paul. Philippians chapter 3, verse 4 says, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, in my life, if any man thinketh he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I got a whole lot more, Paul says. Verse 5, he says, I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. It's touching the law. I wasn't just a, a keeper of the law. I was a Pharisee. I was a teacher of the law. Concerning zeal, whew, 
true. You couldn't find any more somebody more zealous than me. I persecuted the church. Touching the righteousness which is in the law, nobody could find fault with me. I was blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted what? Loss for Christ. Look at verse 8. Yea, doubtless, and I count how many things? I count out all things as a debt, as a loss, as, as, as something not even worth remembering for the excellency, for the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them, but dung, that I may win Christ. You know, Paul could have gloried in his heritage. You know, some people are proud of being Irish, and you ought to be. Amen. Some people are proud of being American. Some people are proud of being French. I don't understand that. But Paul could have been proud of and, and could have boasted about being a member of God's people. See, Americans aren't God's people. Jews are. The Irish are not God's people. The Jews are. And he could have stood up there and says, and, and boasted all day long, I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. But he didn't. His high level of education, he was educated at the feet of the greatest teacher of his day, named Gamaliel. He was precise in his religion, and he obeyed it. It's not like a lot of religious people I meet today. Oh, I'm Catholic. Yeah, when was the last time you went to church? Oh, about six months ago. <laughs> yeah. See, Paul was a practicing. He was, he was perfect in his religion. He was precise. You know what? He not only could have rejoiced and, and, and gloried in his past, he could have rejoiced in his Christianity. He had an amazing conversion. You ever heard somebody's testimony and said, wow, I wish I got saved like that. Remember that? You ever hear anybody like that? You go, I didn't get saved like that. Did you get saved? Then glory, amen. <laughs> but Paul had an amazing conversion. Would you agree? I mean, not, unlike anything else in the Bible, he could have sat there and said, I'm kind of special, you know. You should, have, you should have been there when I got saved. He could have boasted about his ministry accomplishments. He started at least two dozen thriving churches across Asia Minor and Southern Europe. He personally trained hundreds of men to preach and pastor those churches he started. He traveled at least ten to 15,000 miles by foot. His zeal and energy as a Christian leader, nothing seemed to stop or slow him down. His survival, I mean, every time you'd see him at church, he'd have another bruise, he'd have another whiplash, he'd, he'd look... Broken every time he says, but I'm here. He could have boasted how he was still there, still going, still surviving. But all of that, you know what he said? It was like manure. Amen. Amen. Look at verse 8 again. Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss. Run down to the bottom. And do count them but, remember that word. It's a good Bible word. You want to update that? All these new Bibles want to update their words. I want to see them update that one. There was one thing, one event, one moment in time. Are you listening? Only one. Only one. Now, if you're married, you got to say it was your marriage. Remember that? It's the day I got married, amen. If you got kids, you got to say the day so and so was born. You know what Paul had? He had one event, one moment in time that thrilled Paul more than anything else. The cross. The cross. You know, two words. Two words. Say it all. The cross. Those two words define Christian joy. 
Money doesn't do it. You know what you think of when I say money? You go, I don't have any. (laughs) Friends don't do it. They let you down. Those two words, the cross, define Christian joy. They prove God's mercy and they offer a sure hope for the hopeless. That's the cross. You need to get this. It will make salvation sweet again when you look at the cross. See, all you're doing is you're looking at yourself. I've been there. I know what it's like when, when, when the car won't start. You know, you, I, I know what it's like when everything's wrong, when the bank has nothing to offer, when, when everything's falling apart, folks. Life becomes sweet when you look at that cross and you go, it's okay. It's all I need. It'll make Jesus real and personal. When you forget about the cross and all you focus on is church and you focus on the family and you focus on the problems, you focus on the burdens and you focus on the, 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 just the politics and the problems in the world. You forget about Jesus. Because the cross reminds you about Him. It'll make suffering and sorrow and trouble small again. That's what the cross and what the glory of the cross can do. I gotta say this, to glory in the cross, when Paul says, God forbid, that means those are the strongest words in your entire Bible. It says, may God stop me from ever glorying in anything other than the cross. To glory in the cross is the most amazing, if not the most contradicting of statements in the Bible. Wow! Think about it, to rejoice in the torture in the sorrow, in the abandonment that Jesus experienced, and ultimately in his death, death that he experienced. To rejoice in that? As strange as it sounds, we do. As a matter of fact, go to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12. Those of us who are foolish enough to trust in the cross, rejoice in it. And not only do we, Jesus does too. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the sorrow that was set before him. Is that what it says? When he looked at that cross, what did he have that nobody else ever had? Joy. Who for the joy that was set before him, what did it enable him to do? He endured the cross despising the shame. Uh, Anybody who tried to dump shame on him and embarrass him, he just let it just roll off like, like, like water off the back of a duck. Despising the shame and is set now down at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3 tells you, you need to consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. I mean, he's perfect. We're sinful. He's right. We're wrong. He should live, we should die. And yet it was all thrown backwards on him. It says, you consider him and you won't be so wearied and faint in your mind. The cross. Now I sat down, I don't know, sometimes I get inspiration. Yesterday I wrote down some thoughts about the cross and they turned into a poem. So endure for a minute, will you? Think about the cross. The place where Jesus died, the place where sin was crucified, where the wrath of God was satisfied. Oh, think about the cross and get to know about the cross. Find out who it was that died on its frame, the torture that could cause such shame, how such a thing could take away all our blame, if only you really knew about the cross. 
be very upset about the cross. It will upset and offend you for sure, showing all your successes only as manure, and even your righteousness as totally impure. Oh yes, expect to be very upset by the cross. Look to the cross. There's an invitation waiting there, an open door to heaven if you dare, paid for by the blood of Jesus, though so unfair. Will you look to the cross? Trust the cross. Don't believe anything else around. Only from the cross can forgiveness be found, and from thence by faith all grace can abound, if only you will trust the cross. And then you can glory in the cross. Rejoice and shout and leap for joy. The Son of God has sin destroyed and gave eternal life to us forever to enjoy. So ever glory in the cross. Let me preach to you briefly about the cross. First of all, number one, it is more than two pieces of wood. It was the determinate counsel of God. That means it was planned out by God. It was not an accident. It was not a tragedy. Go to Acts chapter 2, please. Brother Martin remembers years ago we did a, uh, a door-to-door survey. Hundreds of people we asked from door-to-door a series of questions about the Bible and things. One of the questions I put on there was, what do you think of the crucifixion? And I gave three options. I said, was it planned? Was it an accident? Or was it a tragedy that shouldn't have happened? And it surprised me. Well over half said it was tragic. It shouldn't have happened. Acts chapter 2 and verse 22. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by the miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the politics of the day. By accident. Look at those words. By the determinate. You ever met anybody determined? You know what I'm talking about? When somebody's determined, they're unshakable, right? Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Folks, it means that the cross was planned out and carried out perfectly according to the will and plan of God. It didn't shock God. It didn't upset God. It wasn't a surprise. It was a plan. It was actually the most amazing and the most wisest and the only way to save sinners from their sin. You see, when you take a step back and you try to allow for all the conditions of how do you fix the human race, there's only one way, the cross. You couldn't fix it through better education. You couldn't fix it through better politics. You couldn't fix it through better religion. You couldn't fix it through better lives and and better humanitarian efforts. You couldn't fix it through better prayer lives. You couldn't fix it through anything because we're in a mess, we're ruined. So God had to step in, and even as a perfect man, get this, even as a perfect man living among the people he loved, who he cared for, who he healed, how did we treat him? We killed him. So even the perfect life of Jesus Christ could not save us. Don't misunderstand me. The perfect life was necessary to live what we could never live. But by his life, he could not save us. What needed to happen? 
is death. At our hands, with our anger, with our wrath, with our confusion, and all our sin. And He took it. You couldn't get anything better than that. You couldn't get anything more amazing. The, the cross is glorious, folks. You couldn't find a better way to fix a human heart. You couldn't, you couldn't imagine a better way to reach to the soul in Somalia like you reach the soul in a palace. That cross is the only way. It was a full payment for all sin, for all time, and for all people. Go to Hebrews now. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 10. Start in verse 9. Here's Jesus speaking. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 9. Then said he, this is speaking of Jesus, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. Remember that, the will of God. He take away the first, that's the Old Testament, that he may establish the second, the new. By the which will, by that same will that Jesus was following, we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. How often? So next time somebody called, uh, picks up a piece of bread and says the body of Christ, what are they doing? They're lying to you. His body was offered how often? Once for all. Verse 12. But this man, speaking of Jesus, after he had offered how many sacrifices? One sacrifice for sins forever. He sat down on the right hand of God. He's not called down and made bodily present in the host anymore. Are you listening? He is right now where? At the right hand of our Father in heaven. Verse 14. For by how many offerings? By one offering he hath perfected. You know, I talked to Brother Dennis. Where did he go? He just put it back there with his lovely bride. Talked to Brother Dennis. How you doing? And what is his words? Nearly perfect. <laughs> you know what the truth is? When God looks down at Dennis, he says he is perfected. Amen. Look at your Bible. It says, verse 14, by one offering he hath perfected forever. Well, I might lose my salvation, Pastor. I might just blow it. I might just, you might, but God won't. He's perfected you for how long? Say it again. Forever. I like those words. Amen. He's perfected forever them that are sanctified. Go to chapter uh, 9 and verse 12. One page back, maybe. Chapter 9 and verse 12. I wish you were excited. I wish you had the joy that comes from realizing this truth. I bet you'd get excited if somebody said you won a million euros. I bet you'd be excited if somebody came along and offered you free dining for a month. I, you've got eternal life because of what we're reading right here. Uh, chapter 9 and verse 12. Neither by the blood of goats and calves... But by his own blood, where was it shed? Where, where, where did his own blood spill out? On the cross. But by his own blood, he entered in how often? Once into the holy place, having obtained how much, etern how much redemption? So how long are you saved for? You say, well, I can't live it. Thank God. If you could live it, you wouldn't need it. Amen. You can't live it. God had to give it to you. 
And then God had to keep you saved. Amen. Having obtained eternal redemption for us. Glory in the cross. Anybody wants to be excited about some match or some, some political party winning or losing or whatever. I tell you what. I get excited about eternal redemption at the cross. You know what that means? Full payment made. One more. Verse 26. Chapter 9, verse 26. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. If you try to think about it, surely Jesus would have to die every day, every hour of every day forever. No. But now, once in the end of the world, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Folks, the cross is more than just two pieces of wood. It was the etern- it was the determinate counsel of God. It was the full payment for all sin for all time. And it was the end of the law. Go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 and verse 3. Romans chapter 8 and verse 3. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, He condemned sin where? So when He died, what died? The power of the law to condemn you forever and ever and ever. It died. Thank God. Amen. It was the end of the law. That doesn't mean you don't need the law. That doesn't mean that, that somebody can say, I don't, need to, I don't need to obey God. I can live as I please. You're an idiot. It means that if you're saved, the law cannot condemn you anymore. If the law could condemn you, believe me, you is condemned. But the end, the law has come to an end. It's like a train coming to the end. Everybody got off. And it's the most gripping and the most attention-getting event of all time. You know, nothing else could get my attention like the injustice of the cross. You know, when I went to church, I'm just some stupid, dumb Gentile. I'm a Texan. You know how much you know you know how to tell a Texan? You can't. <laughs> can't tell him anything. Anyway, that was a joke. I'm sitting in church, what's going to impress me? Not fancy speeches, not wow PowerPoints, not in not a lot of money, not big churches. You know what got my attention? Somebody on the cross that didn't belong there. Somebody dying at the hands of of, of wicked people and, and, and he allowing them to bind him. He allowing them to spit upon him. He allowing them to string him up and to whip him for nothing he ever did. That got my attention. You know, the cross will get the attention of anybody. The betrayal. One of his best friends, Judas. Somebody who he had invested in. Somebody he had empowered. Somebody he loved. Somebody who when he came and gave him a kiss. That same apostle betrayed him. You ever been betrayed? You know a little bit about how it felt. Most a gripping, tension-getting event of all time. Think about the cross. Think about the cross. Next time you see a cross on a hillside somewhere, remember, glory. Amen? You say, oh, that's, that religious expression ought not... Shut up! Amen. You know what? That cross is glorious. Now, thankfully, that one's empty. The ones that still have Jesus on it, that's not glorious. 
But an empty cross shows the glory of God where God and man could meet. Glorious. At first, it's totally offensive, repulsive, horrible. I have to be honest with you. People hate the cross. They hate, they hate Bible Christianity. They don't mind people being Christians. They hate the preaching of the cross. They hate um, everything about the cross. You know why? Hold on. Because they want to hear thoughts about how good they are. How unfairly they've been treated. How God is only loving and only gentle. Well, the cross is not nice, folks. The cross is not sweet. It's not soft. It's not cuddly. It's rough. Harsh. Stern. And it's deadly. It's completely offensive. To think about someone having to die so horribly in your place. You see, I try it when I'm talking to somebody at the door and they start making light of, of salvation, light of forgiveness. I say, to him, you deserve to be on that cross. Oh, I'm not that bad a person. You're bad enough. If Jesus Christ died for you, then you belonged on there or else he didn't die for you. You wait for the penny to drop. That shows us. It just rubs. So I don't want to hear that. I know. Whenever there's preaching about the cross, there'll always be preaching about the reasons for the cross. And it just rubs us the wrong way, doesn't it? It was horrible. Folks, the cross was horrible. You can't smooth it, make it nice. You can't do anything to fix it. Philippians 2.8 says this, Being found in fashion as a man, Jesus humbled himself and became obedient unto death. That'd be one thing. But it says this next word, Even the death of the cross. That word even emphasized just how awful he was going to have to die. Isaiah 53 describes and uses these words when it describes the cross and the crucifixion. It uses the word stricken, smitten of God, afflicted, wounded, bruised, chastised, whipped, beaten, nailed to a cross, unable to breathe, torn to bits. That's the cross. We don't like that. It's not, not, it's too real. Cross is horrible because it doesn't make sense. It'll never make sense to an intellectual person who tries to figure out God. You know, if I were God, I would never allow problems in the world. I wouldn't allow babies to die uh, in car accidents. If I were God, shut up. Thank God you're not God. You don't have two brain cells in you if you think you're smarter than God. See, the intellectuals, the cross doesn't make any sense. To the politicians, the cross doesn't make any sense. The politicians look at, look at all of the events and they look at Pilate and they say, well, Pilate, he couldn't do anything. He had to kill Jesus. He had to turn Jesus over because there was a rob. There, there was a mob. It was going to be a riot. You see how that politics works? You work at appeasing the people instead of doing right. Pilate turned an innocent man over to be crucified. Politicians can't understand the cross. They can't get their head around it. You know, you know, you know who you put on a cross? A hardened criminal. Who would deserve to die on the cross? Think about that. It doesn't make sense. No one would want such a thing to actually ever happen to anybody. Some of you have been watching so much TV, playing so many games, you don't know what reality is. 
Amen. You ever watch a TV program and they're showing you real people and real death, you switch it off because you can't handle it. That's the truth. You couldn't handle it. You don't like it. Change the channel. <laughs> That's why a lot of people change churches too. Oh, pastor, make me feel good. I feel really bad today. Not today. And yet here was an innocent man taking the place of those who did not want him. Doesn't make sense at all. Jesus died for people who didn't want him to. It's one thing. It's one thing to be the Taoiseach or the President of the United States and to have people who love you and you love them and they take a bullet for you. It's another thing to take the bullet for somebody who doesn't love you and hates you and wants you dead. Amen. Doesn't make sense, does it? I wonder they don't like it. <laughs> but it sure makes sense to those of us who need it. Who need hope, man. Who need a Savior. Who need God to intervene and step down out of eternity and fix me right now. Thank God. Sure makes sense to me. You know, everything about the cross is glorious. You know, the justice of God is glorious on the cross. What was God doing? Judging sin. Aren't you glad he didn't judge you? The justice of God should have required you and me to die under the wrath of God and to experience his wrath for all eternity. I don't understand hell. Don't understand it. Flee from it. Amen. The justice of God. The wrath of God. It's glorious. God had to turn the light off. God had to have it Three hours of darkness to cover the wrath of God poured out. Listen, I want you to understand this. The wrath, when, when, when somebody is after your children, when somebody tries to steal one of your kids or one of your grandkids, when somebody tries to slip a drug to one of your kids, or somebody tries to Deceive or, or trick somebody into turning their life over uh, as a um, uh, as a tool of somebody else by manipulation. You'd be right to get upset. You'd be right to run in there and knock somebody down. Say, "That's my son. That's my grandchild. You're not going to touch my kids." Amen. Well, listen. There's only one way for the for God to defeat the devil, and that was at the cross. It was the wrath of God poured out. Against sin. Does he love sinners? Thank God. But he had to judge sin. And he had to do it with wrath. You imagine somebody breaking into my house and I go down and I say, Oh, are you here for the, are, are, are you, you, you here for the silverware? Alright, let me show you where it is and let me get you a cup of tea. Will you now? Will you have one or two lumps? Now, now don't be upset, but I'm going to call the Garda and, and I'll give you enough time to leave before they get here. Is that how you treat somebody who comes in your back window? You say, Pastor, you get angry. I get very angry. Somebody upset and get into my home, not knowing what they want to do with my family or my possessions. They have no business in my home except through the front door. Amen? The wrath of God is, listen, God is glorious in His wrath even because He's right. Amen? They used to have a law, if somebody breaks into your house, you could beat the devil out of them, and they went to jail and not you. Amen? Used to be. What a shame. Wrath of God. Glorious. The mercy of God. See, that's what we need. Mercy. Mercy. What is mercy? Not getting what I deserve. That's mercy. 
That's the cross. Who got it? Who received the wrath of God? Who received the, the, the judgment of God? Jesus did. I received the mercy of God. All where? Where? Did I get it at church? At the cross. And the sacrifice of God. Glorious man. You think about all oh, that was going on. What did John the Baptist do the first day he met Jesus? He had, last time he had seen him, he saw him as a, just a, a younger cousin back when they were kids. And there he saw Jesus Christ coming out of the crowd and he yelled with all his might. And think about John the Baptist who could preach to 10,000 people at a time. He cried out and he says, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God, the sacrifice. Glorious. You know what the Jews were doing when they brought the lambs to the, ta- to the temple at Passover and on the Day of Atonement? They were outside. <laughs> Woo! We're forgiven. Amen. The Lamb of God. Sacrifice of God. The very Son of God. You want know to make that cross glorious? Jesus. You put somebody up on there, they're just a criminal. They're just a human. And the very resurrection three days later is glorious. Folks, all of that was glorious because it was the only way to take care of our sin problem. I already told you that. Because it was the only way to allow sinners to become righteous and still keep God righteous. He's not only the justifier, but He remains just in forgiving us because He took the blame. Can you beat that? It was all victory. Colossians chapter 2. Go to the right, find Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. Too many times we look at the cross as a measure of defeat. We look at it as if it's failure. Let me tell you what really happened at the cross. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, And you being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you how many trespasses? Well, what if I sin in the future? How many sins did he die for? Say it again. He has forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that were, con- that were, that was against us. Talk about the law which was contrary to us. And what did he do with the law? He took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross and having spoiled demons and devils and Satan himself. When he talks about principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. When did he do that? When he cried out, it is finished. What was he crying out? Victory! <laughs> and then he bowed his head and he died. Amen. It's glorious. It's glorious. What does Paul say? God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of Jesus Christ. It's still the only way way to attract real conversion. Uh, Go to John chapter 12. John 12, 32. John 12, 32. Jesus speaking himself, saying, and I, I love this, he repeats it. John 12, 32, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth. What's he speaking of? When did, when, not the resurrection, no. When was Jesus lifted up from the earth? 
when he was placed on that cross and they lifted it up and it slid into its holding hole. And when he, and he says, when I am lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. You think about that for a minute. You think good and long because music will not save anybody. The pastor, sometimes the, the, the guitars don't play the same note as the piano. Pastor, our music just is kind of boring. Get over it. Because music will never save anybody. If, you, if our music doesn't thrill you, ain't nothing worth thrilling you. Because it's not really the music that really thrills us. You know what it is? It's the words. It's the truth. It's the joy. Fancy speeches can't do it. Pastor, you said that phrase wrong. You put your verb before the noun. <laughs> Fancy speeches can't do it. Money cannot attract real conversion. The day that we say we have to have big, beautiful basilicas and gold altars and we have to have the pastor in thousand euro suits and we have to have people attending who have gold vests and we have to have valets at the door taking people's cars and parking. The day we think that is the day we damn our community. Money doesn't attract saves sinners. It's not where we meet and how we live and what money we have and, and, and how we look and how we speak. It's, it's the cross. Only lifting up Jesus Christ. You want to be saved from the wrath to come? Believe on the Savior who died on that cross. Only believe in the foolishness of the cross can save anybody. I'll ask again. You want to try and show, show me something more glorious than the cross? You ain't going to find it. Last point. Shame on anybody and anyone that promotes anything equal to the cross. There are a lot of people who value and cherish and promote things more than the cross, especially in religion. There are so many ceremonies, folks, that promote, that the churches promote today. But listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 17 and 18, Christ sent me not to baptize. Are you listening? But to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Lest I take away from the power of the cross. For the preaching of the cross is of them that perish is foolishness. But us which are saved, it is the power of God. What does Paul say? I will never, ever put baptism equal to salvation. I will never put baptism equal to the cross. I will never put circumcision as a mandatory requirement for somebody to get saved. I will never say that you have to be baptized a certain way. You have to be ordained a certain way. You have to have and go through the elaborance of the mass. You have to have a fancy wedding. You have to have crazy birthday party. You have to have a huge funeral. No matter how, no matter how much money you spend, on, on, on all the ceremonies of this world. I mean, Ramadan. Uh, uh, Jewish Mar, Mar Mitzvahs. The Hindu festivals of lights. The money that is spent on all these festivals. Let me tell you. They're dumb. They're dumb. Compared to the cross. Uh, personal prestige. Anybody who says, you know what? I wish I could be Tishik. You know, I wouldn't. But you know, Tishik, I believe, uh, Mr. Radker, I think he thinks he's in a powerful place. Would you agree? Let me tell you, my place of power was on the cross. 
No Taoiseach, no president, no big company CEO like Mr. Zuckerberg has any glory compared to the glory of the cross. How about people's accomplishments? Think about it. Oh, by the way, well, I'll go on. Forgive it all of the celebration of people's accomplishments like the Oscars, the Tony Awards, Eurovision. The World Cup, the Stanley Cup, the Rugby World Trophy Cup. None of those matter compared to one man's soul. And yet most religions, are you listening? Most churches up and down this country care more about big name celebrities and the honor great accomplishments ignoring the shame of the cross and the power that's only there. There are, there are people you know who have self-sacrificed and given so much of their life all over the world. There are people in humanitarian efforts doing incredible things. All throughout history, people have, have risked their lives for great feats and great causes. But according to the Bible, compared to what Jesus did on the cross, it is manure. Most of all, any and all prosperity gospel preachers make me sick. Most of all. There's nothing wrong with working hard for money and having money, but preaching that Christians should not be poor. Preaching that Christians should not get sick. Christians, preaching that Christians should fly first class and that they should live in multi-million euro homes. Shame on them. Shame on all the false prophets who preach any kind of prosperity gospel. The gospel has the cross in it where a man died in your place. That's it. You try to add rings and gold and silver and diamonds. You try to add riches and wealth. You have your God. You have your God. All the wealth of this world is nothing like the glory of the cross. All, all these guys and hundreds more make their living off of making people think they deserve better. And that God's going to give it to them. Not the God of the cross. Maybe the God of this world. They all, listen, look at that. Last time you went to a wedding. Remember Princess, remember Princess Diana's wedding? You remember that? It's beautiful. Amazing. I mean, you've been to some fancy, uh, funerals, huge funerals, big, surely that person was loved. Surely all of these things, all the ceremonies, all the powerful people in the world, all the great acts of self-sacrifice, all of the, 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 the way to make money, the way to work through this multi-level marketing, the way to, 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 to risk it all and to make it all, none of that mounts to anything more than that. Amen. You're cold today? Go sit by that. It's fresh. Fresh. <laughs> Bring some home to mama. No, 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 no. I count it but dumb. Compared to the cross. God forbid that I should glory. Would you get all excited? Wow, look what my cows did. <laughs> Let me finish. Let me finish. If the cross means little or nothing to you, then you have not known what it was all about. You've been lied to and misled. If church to you has to have basilicas and has to be cathedrals and has to have ornate altars and fancy robe priests... If church to you has to have incredible children programs and padded pews, if church to you has to have anything other than the cross, you've missed the cross. Are you with me? Well, I want to go somewhere where my kids are taken care of. That's a babysitter. 
I want to go where I'm really, really fed. Feed yourself. I'll do my best to teach you. I'll do my best to love you. I'll do my best. But my job is to lift up Jesus Christ. My job is to remind you where he died, why he died, and your responsibility to follow him. Amen. Don't think you're... Say, well, I'm, I'm trying. But somebody's hit and miss. If somebody's hit and miss for your kids and for you, then the cross doesn't have glory. Because it's because of the cross I'm here. Not because of Brother Eric, even though I love him dearly. Not because of Brother Dan, even though I love him dearly. It's not because of any of you that I'm here today. It's because of the cross. It affected me. We'll talk about that another week. Don't think that all your feeble prayers and all your religious efforts mean anything to God. Say, well, I'm praying. I'm trying. You know what God hears? Nothing. You know what God got, what got God's attention? The cross. You get close to the cross and you have God's attention. The cross is the only thing that matters in all of eternity. Will you believe that what happened there was enough? That's the challenge. Will you, like the thief next to Jesus on the cross, cry out to him and ask him to remember you? You say, I believe the cross. Have you ever asked him to save you? The thief on the cross did. You imagine the thief sat there looking at Jesus, looking at his, at his own cross, and looking at the cross of Jesus and going, well, I hope he saves me. Well, I hope he saves me. I think he's pretty good. I think he's probably the son of God. Why don't you talk to him? Why don't you cry out to him and say, I don't want to go to hell. I deserve my death. You don't. I don't understand it all. But I trust you. That'll save you. Amen. It's the only thing that matters. And Christian, it's time we shook off all the glitter of this world and cling to the old rugged cross. Glorying in it, thinking and thanking God that it happened for sinners like you and me. Let's take our, our hymnal. Stand with me. The old rugged cross, 113.